You're listening to the BBC World Service Space Podcast. We're going to tell you how to live, work, play and fight at the final frontier, as well as saluting some of history's space pioneers. Happy listening! Deep space, a place that humans have yet to reach. The farthest we ventured into the universe was when we stepped onto the moon and only one of our spacecraft has left the solar system. All kinds of different types of waves but we can listen to the universe beyond. Far from being a silent wilderness, space is a surprisingly noisy place. Whistles and, uh, and chorus and electron cyclotron. I'm Lucy Green, and in the next half an hour on Discovery from BBC World Service, all the sounds and music you'll hear have resulted from our exploration of space. Some are recorded sound. Others are data, like X-rays or radio waves, that have been sonified, so we can listen in to parts of the universe that we can't see. All of them have inspired scientists, musicians and artists to help us understand our universe. Last week, we took a sonic trip through the solar system to hear the ringing of Mercury's magnetic field... We tuned in to the Twitter of subatomic particles around our planet, creating the Earth's chorus. And we took a 40,000 mile an hour ride through the rings of Saturn. This week we're leaving our corner of the cosmos behind as we cross over the boundary from the solar system into interstellar space. This is the sound that Voyager 1 has picked up very recently. Cosmologist Andrew Ponson from University College London. Voyager 1 is the furthest man-made object from us. It's about 130 times further away than our sun. And that means it's essentially left the solar system. If you think of the solar system as being the region which the sun is really in command of, it's left that part of space. It's heading straight into what we call the interstellar winds, which is made up of bits of gas and stuff that, that aren't associated with the sun. The particular sounds that we're hearing are being triggered as waves of material come from the sun itself. This is the solar wind. And they slam into the interstellar gas. And that triggers off waves that we're then hearing in this sound. One of the weird things that this recording reveals is that actually beyond the influence of the sun, suddenly we find there's actually much more material there the particular pitch of the sound is determined by the density of stuff in this interstellar medium. And the fact that it's getting higher is telling us that the the density of stuff is actually getting higher as Voyager travels further away from our own sun and towards other stars. On board the twin Voyager spacecraft, heading out into interstellar space, are a unique collection of recordings. These are not the sounds of space, but rather the sounds of Earth, 
our message in a bottle released into the cosmic ocean. This golden record was the brainchild of famous astronomer and broadcaster Carl Sagan. The record is bolted to the side of each Voyager spacecraft in a record jacket made of metal, aluminum, on which are instructions for use, written not in any human language, of course, but in a language which we think will be crystal clear to anyone smart enough to intercept the spacecraft, namely in a kind of scientific graphics. We also have included a cartridge and stylus, with instructions of what rate to rotate the turntable, but no amplifier. We think if they can find this little space derelict in interstellar space, they will have no difficulty amplifying the signal. On this golden record are imprinted sounds from across our world, including greetings recorded by Earth's inhabitants destined for those that may live beyond. Hello from the children of planet Earth. Paz e felicidade a todos. Dharti ke baasiyon ki or se namaskar. Tahiyatuna lil astiqa' fi an-nujum. Ya layta yajma'una az-zaman. Siyani bingalala maqawi. Snifisela ingonzo ende. Bonjour tout le monde. I'm so proud of the Voyager record because it contains messages within the message. Andrian worked with her husband Carl Sagan to decide what we should send out into the universe their task to encapsulate the very essence of the human race. Carl's great laugh is on that record. But then the sound of a kiss, the very first words of a mother to her newborn baby. Oh, come on now. And the brain waves and vital signs of a meditation by a woman who had just fallen madly in love. The contents of this record will be preserved for more than a thousand million years. Now, once you have that extent of time, it is possible that it, in fact, will be intercepted, and then it seemed to us appropriate to say something about who we are, what our feelings are, what our aspirations were. Some of those emotional things are conveyed, we think, by no means more satisfactory than music. Obviously, there can be differences of opinion on how comprehensible each of these uh, segments of the Voyager record is, but uh, try to imagine yourself as an extraterrestrial with absolutely no prior contact with the Earth or its inhabitants what would you make of this music? Would you find it totally incomprehensible, strangely beautiful, immediately understandable? What would you make of this? bodies have inspired artists of all stripes. Well, here's an opportunity for us to uh, reverse the process and return some art and science, music and technology back to the stars from the Earth. 
this precious archive of human experience carried on board the Voyager craft is now nearly 20 billion kilometres away from the Earth, gliding out into our vast galaxy, the Milky Way. I hope that one day it will be intercepted by other civilizations living on alien worlds. But what would their home planets look like? These distant exoplanets outside our solar system are hard to see, lost in the glare of their neighbouring stars, but we can pick them out in other ways. This sound reveals an exoplanet found in data collected by NASA's Kepler telescope. It's a very different world to our own, a hot and inhospitable place that lies very close to its sun. In this case, we're actually listening to the what we call the light curve from where the, the smallest planet outside our own solar system has ever been detected. So this is something smaller than the size of Mercury, which is really very impressive that we can find this so far away. The way this sound actually gets made is by measuring the brightness of the star over very long periods of time. And when people look for planets around stars other than our own, this is the main technique that they use because they're they're looking for very slight changes in the light which come from the planet actually moving in front of the star. It blocks out a bit of the light and the star appears to get dimmer. And then the planet, of course, carries on and then it stops blocking out the light. So as the planet goes round, you get this predictable cycle where the light gets a bit dimmer and then gets a bit brighter again. And then you can turn that into a sound and actually hear the cycle that it's making. Cruising further out into the Milky Way now, we travel from strange alien planets to spectacular stars that are wildly different from our own familiar sun. Stars that are expanding, stars that are exploding, and stars that send out strange alien signals, which we're about to hear as we go further and further out into space. This is a red giant star, so a star much larger than the sun, so it's about ten times the size of the sun. Radio astronomer Tim O'Brien from Jodrell Bank Telescope in the UK. It's called Xi Hydri. It's in the constellation of Hydra, about 130 light years away. Red giants are stars that have inflated until they are hundreds of times bigger than our sun. They swell up because of changing nuclear reactions deep in their core that ignite new fuel supplies, making them burn even brighter. What you're hearing there is information from a telescope that basically measured the brightness of the star and looking at the brightness variations that are caused by the star itself pulsating and vibrating. So in the same way that the sun has sound waves travelling through it that cause the sun to sort of wobble, to sort of vibrate, and we can measure that directly with the sun. With these, we look at the brightness variations of the star, and it sounds like quite a deep note there. Red giant stars much bigger than the sun, you'd imagine that there might be much deeper notes, much longer wavelength sounds that are passing through the star. This is uh, another star, but in this case, it's a white dwarf star. The sound is very different, and the reason for that is that the structure of this is is 
completely different. It's not really a star in the way that we normally understand them. It's actually collapsed down after the main part of its life is over. The white dwarfs are basically a dead star. It's about the size of the Earth. So when a star like the Sun reaches the end of its life and runs out of nuclear fuel in its core, its outer layers it expand to become a red giant and then are eventually lost into space. But its core is sort of left behind where all the nuclear reactions used to take place. When our Sun runs out of fuel and dies, it too will become a white dwarf. Without nuclear fusion to sustain its light, it will gradually cool down and fade away. But other stars live and die in pairs that revolve around each other, called binary systems, and their fate can be much more spectacular. This is the sound of X-rays gathered by NASA's Swift Telescope from a nova, an explosion that happened in the constellation of Scorpius just last year. We see these things as bright new stars in the sky. People used to think they were actually new stars being born, but we now know they're, they're old stars exploding. So we think, actually, that what's going on is the, there's a white dwarf star in this system. It's orbiting another star. The white dwarf's a dead star about the size of the Earth. And as matter falls from the second star onto the white dwarf, it builds up and eventually explodes. So this high pitch you're hearing is the sound of very high-energy X-rays from this exploding star. Oh, and now we get the low-energy X-rays that come from the hot white dwarf on which the explosion took place, leaving just the fading high-energy X-rays from the blast wave expanding out around the, the explosion. Further out into the stellar landscape, we begin to pick up a mysterious signal. It was first discovered in 1967 by a young PhD researcher working at Cambridge University. Her name? Jocelyn Bell Burnell. It was one of these amazing accidental things. We were studying the most distant things in the universe. We picked up these funny signals, couldn't really make much sense of them. They were happening at a time of night when things shouldn't have been happening of that ilk. When we got them finally pinned down, it turned out to be a string of pulses, regularly spaced pulses, something going bleep, bleep, bleep bleep at us in a radio signal with an incredible accuracy of bleeps. Radio astronomers are conscious that if there are other civilizations out in space, it's probably they, the radio astronomers, that will first discover them. And so we half ingest and half wonderingly label these signals LGM. For little green men. Eventually, we realised that this had to be a new kind of star. The crunch point came when I found the second one, because it's extremely unlikely that there would be two lots of little green men on opposite sides of the universe, both signalling in an unintelligent way to an inconspicuous planet. It had to be some new kind of star. And then the question was just what? These pulsating radio stars, or pulsars for short, are amongst the strangest things in the universe. The tiny stars are so dense that a piece the size of a sugar cube would weigh as much as the whole of humanity. 
They're formed dramatically when a star explodes as a supernova and the leftovers collapse, crushing the atoms inside and making the tiny core spin faster and faster. These radio pulses are produced by a beam of intense radiation jetting out from the spinning star's poles, and they can be detected all the way from the Earth. As the beam swings past our planet like a cosmic lighthouse, a pulse marks out every time the star rotates. Unlike the Earth, which rotates once every 24 hours, this pulsar spins around once a second, and this is one of the slower ones. Some pulsars we find are spinning much, much faster, hundreds of times a second. So fast, we call them millisecond pulsars because we see the flash every sort of tens or hundreds of, of milliseconds. So this next one is spinning 174 times a second, if we just listen to that. So it's those beats, it's the dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, but speeded up to 174 times a second leads to this beep. This very sort of high-pitched buzz, a bit like a bee sort of buzzing around in space. It's sort of weird things, millisecond pulsars. Very, very interesting because they're actually, we think, pulsars in binary star systems. So we think this pulsar's orbiting another star. It would have been spinning rather more slowly earlier on. And then as the second star, the one it's going around, evolves, it gets bigger. And some of the matter of this second star is transferred onto the pulsar. It sort of sucks matter off this other star. And as that matter arrives on the pulsar, it actually it spins it up. So it starts to spin faster and faster and faster. And then we end up with these really quite interesting millisecond pulsars. This relentless ticking is so reliable that pulsars can be used as cosmic clocks, allowing astronomers to test their latest theories about the universe. One of the things that people have got interested in most recently is something called pulsar timing arrays. And that's where we take telescopes on Earth and we point them at lots of different pulsars across the sky. And we look to see, are there slight changes in the timing of these clicks coming from the pulsars? Are there slight changes in those timings that we can detect because if there are, and they happen not just to one pulsar at any one moment, but other pulsars as well, and all the pulsars sort of change the rate at which they're singing to us, then we think that means that a gravitational wave must have passed by the Earth. It's a ripple in Einstein's fabric of space and time itself. If there's one type of sounds that I'd pick out and say have been of particular inspiration to musicians and artists, it would be pulsars, these spinning neutron stars out there in the distant universe. Anna Harja, Executive Director of the Art Science Museum in Singapore. The famous Joy Division record cover, Unknown Pleasures, is actually a radiograph of one of the first pulsars discovered by Jocelyn Bell Burnell at Jodrell Bank. And ever since that point, their influence has echoed throughout music. We've got experimental musicians such as Gérard Grisi, who famously orchestrated a live pulsar into a performance he was undertaking with a group of percussionists in France. And because of their regular metronomic beat, they also serve as inspiration for electronic music. In particular, the Vela pulsar, which rotates around 11 times per second, is the perfect techno beat.
Moving further into the dark, spinning, stellar nightclub, we come to the deep bass beat of a black hole. This sound is so deep that some speakers won't be able to play it, and it was made by radio astronomer Tim O'Brien from Jodrell Bank. I created this sound a few years ago as part of an art project, working with a group called Flow Motion. We, we made this piece of art that was a combination of sound and visual art called Astral Black Morphologies. So this is a black hole called Cygnus X1 that's in our galaxy. It's a stellar mass black hole, so it's got a mass that's not much more than the mass of the Sun, probably created in the explosion of a very massive star, and it's orbiting in a binary star system, another star very close by that it orbits around. And as stuff from the second star falls into the black hole, it sucks stuff off this other star. As this stuff falls in towards the black hole, it gets very hot. That very hot gas, as it sort of spirals around the black hole, produces X-rays. And it's those X-rays that we're listening to. We're effectively hearing the sort of death, if you like, the disappearing gas before it plunges into the event horizon of the, of the black hole. Black holes are the most strange theoretical objects that physicists have ever dreamt up. Nowadays, the way that we understand how the universe has come to look like it does today with galaxies and so on, actually black holes get a starring role in that. We think there's almost certainly a black hole at the centre of our own galaxy. We've got very strong evidence for that from the way that stars are moving around near the centre of the galaxy. And we think that black holes in general have a huge role to play in shaping galaxies and making the galaxy population look like it does. Reaching further and further out into space, we pick up signals that have travelled for billions of years to reach us. Now, for your ears only, we've created a new sound that has never been heard before. It's been made using more data from NASA's Swift Telescope, orbiting planet Earth, which is watching out for the brightest beacons in the whole of space, gamma-ray bursts. Gamma-ray bursts are these klaxons in the universe. We don't fully understand what they are, but there's some sort of very energetic explosion going on in the furthest reaches of the universe. So these are X-rays and gamma-rays, high-energy X-rays, that have been produced by this explosion. And that sort of flash that you heard then, that's a really bright flash in these X-rays. We think what happens is a supermassive star collapses at its heart probably forms a black hole and it shoots out jets of particles and radiation into space. That jet's directed almost directly towards us. Extreme distances out in the universe, this was seven and a half billion years the light had travelled for before it reached us. You know, that's so far out in the universe that that light was incredibly powerful and bizarrely, it was actually even visible to the unaided eye just for 30 seconds or so. And in fact, when they were first detected, it was by military satellites that were looking for signs of nuclear testing. And it gave the Americans during the Cold War a bit of a shock to suddenly see all these flashes. But it it was quickly realised they're actually coming from the furthest reaches of the universe. And nowadays we use them to alert us that, that something interesting has happened. Finally, to end our voyage into deep space, we're going to experience a sound that symbolises one of the most fundamental events in astronomy, the birth of the universe. 
It might remind you of the static that you come across when you tune in an old analogue radio set, but this is the oldest noise you'll ever hear, and probably the most significant. It's the sonified afterglow of the Big Bang, known as the cosmic microwave background, and its discovery caused a scientific revolution. Back in 1964, two astronomers, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, were working at Bell Laboratories in New Jersey. And they were studying radio waves occurring in the galaxy. And they detected a very mysterious and unusual signal, a noise that appeared to be coming from all directions simultaneously. Now, this didn't make any sense. There was nothing within science at the time which could explain such a mysterious signal. So, like good scientists, Penzias and Wilson, assumed that it must be a problem with their equipment. Perhaps the pigeons that were roosting in their antenna and all the pigeon droppings were causing this interference. So they cleaned out the dish, got rid of the pigeons and the pigeon droppings, and they repeated the experiment. And this mysterious, enigmatic signal, which came from all directions, simultaneously persisted. What it was that they had discovered was cosmic microwave background radiation left over from the birth of the universe, the so-called Big Bang. And at that point, this was the first experimental evidence that the universe had a precise beginning in time. So Penzias and Wilson had discovered the beginning of the universe. And there ends our sonic tour of the universe for discovery from the BBC, from lightning on Jupiter to alien exoplanets. With thanks to our tour guides, Andrew Ponson from University College London, Honor Harja from the Art Science Museum in Singapore, and Tim O'Brien from Jodrell Bank. I'm Lucy Green, and the producer was Michelle Martin. We hope wherever you are in the universe that you've enjoyed this broadcast, a radio signal which is now beaming out from the Earth to join all the other sounds of space. Thanks for listening. Find more interviews, features and documentaries at bbcworldservice.com slash space.